This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Eurograps Express, episode two. Episode two, we've made it. This is my ride the lightning. This is my judgment day. This is my wrong trousers. I feel like if the podcast got picked up by the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network and I made it to recording number two and getting it out there, then I'd be committed. Then that was it. I'll be doing this for, for the rest of my life. And I'm not intimidated by that. I'm really pleased by that. I really enjoyed recording. Uh, last week's, uh, sorry, uh, last fortnight's episode, and I'm in a similar position now. I'm sat in the arse end of Salford. It's it's late at night. It's not raining this time, but it's pretty grey and pretty miserable. But I'm nice and warm. I'm inside. The heating's on. I'm wearing a bit of knitwear, and I'm ready to to talk about wrestling. Before we get into the analysis and the, and talking about the shows, I, I I wanted to say a genuine thank you. To anyone who's messaged me or DM'd me or left a comment on Discord in the past couple of weeks. I'm really pleased to see that a lot of people have, have kind of got what I was going for with this, which is just a relaxed conversation with a friend about wrestling. I'm really lucky in my life. I've got a wonderful wife. I've got a couple of really close friends who are like brothers. But the one thing I don't have is a friend who, who loves wrestling. My friend Dan will come and watch Grandpa with me and, 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 and he enjoys kind of the that that more sort of family pantomime kind of wrestling and, and my wife is brilliant. She's travelled up and down the country with me watching shows. She enjoys the, the travel and the process of it. But whenever I wanted that conversation, that analysis, I've had to go online. I've had to go to Voices of Wrestling. It's what made me want to start writing for them. I, write, I started writing for Voices of Wrestling by reviewing RevPro shows. And I've always enjoyed that that conversation and that analysis. And, and that's something that I wanted to bring to the podcast, something a bit Socratic. You know, that basic, nothing sort of fancy. I think people misunderstand that. Socratic is just a it's conversation. It's learning by talking, learning by talking with others. And that's what I wanted to get for the podcast. And I'm, I'm really glad that people feel that way and, and, and seem to enjoy it. I'm going to stop being soft now. Go and undercoat a Space Marine. Go and put the kettle on. Because we're going to be talking about RevPro. We're going to be talking about Progress. And we're going to be talking about North. A promotion from Newcastle. Let's get into it. So RevPro had a show in Southampton. Live in Southampton 16 on the 13th of February. And... Southampton typically is RevPro's 
smallish shows. They have the big marquee shows in York Hall. They have their kind of day-to-day shows in uh, the cockpit or now in the 228. And traditionally, Southampton has been somewhere for, you know, Hikaleo to main event or, you know, something that was just a really fun show for the family. And I'm not criticising that. I've always enjoyed them. But they've always been something that you put on in the background while you were doing something else. And I noted in episode one, when we were looking at this card, it just seemed exciting. There was nothing on here really of any significance in terms of storylines in a in a blatant way. You know, there was no kind of big changes. There was no big moving pieces. That's not to say it was insignificant. A lot happened and a lot, a lot was relevant. But it stood out as being different and exciting and I couldn't really put my finger on why and really the answer was was staring me in the face it was, it was really really simple it's the fact that Repro have built lots and lots of people to be incredibly exciting they built lots and lots of people where they can just be thrown together against each other and you want to watch the match they built a trust they built clear characters and suddenly we've got a live in Southampton show that, that should be throwaway, should be missable, that I don't want to miss. I couldn't wait. I mean, they took a longer to upload this because I assume they thought that nobody's going to be waiting to watch this show. Um, they didn't account for nerds like me. But I was refreshing RPW On Demand. I was checking every day. I checked when I woke up. I checked when I came home from work and before I went to bed because I, I couldn't wait to watch this show. It's for matches like Mark Davis versus Alex Coughlin. I, I, just, I just really want to see that match. It's not been built to. It's there's been no promos. It's not been it's not been advertised in any sort of special way other than a, a graphic. But look at Mark Davis's work in Red Pro. He's been booked like a beast. He's wrestled great matches. Alex Coughlin, the same. He's been squashing people, essentially, but he's been booked like a beast. Suddenly, at this live at Southampton show, we've got two beasts fighting each other. Further on down the card, we've got Lee Hunter versus Will Ospreay. Now, Lee Hunter is a, is a workhorseman. He's just, he's a, he's a journeyman. He's somebody who, who you put in, you know, three matches in, in a, in a, on a cockpit. He's really good. He's in a tag team traditionally, the Hunter brothers. But I want to see him against Will Ospreay. That's an interesting match that I, I wouldn't have, I never would have thought to put together. Then you've got Gabriel Kidd against Kyle Fletcher. Gabriel Kidd is absolutely killing it at the minute. Kyle Fletcher, same as Mark Davis. He's been absolutely storming his way through Rev Pro, having great match after great match after great match. And then they're putting Michael Oku on top, and Michael Oku is red hot at the minute. So just all round, a really exciting card. And I think this is one of the few promotions in Europe that can put out an exciting card. Yes, everyone can book an exciting match. Anyone can take a Gabriel Kidd and book him against somebody. And and I'm not criticising, obviously, people who do that. You should be doing that. But what Red Pro are able to do through consistent booking over a long period of time they're able to put together entire cards. This is live in Southampton 16. I shouldn't be this excited over it, but it's a testament to the booking of Red Pro that I am. 
So let's have a look at the matches then. First of all, as I said, we had Matt Davis versus Alex Coughlin. And actually opening kind of made me a little bit more excited to watch that because you know that they're going to go out there and they're going to want to get the, cow, uh, the crowd jacked up. They're going to want to get the crowd into it and really excited. And you could see that from Alex Coughlin straight away. He leapt into the ring, Brock Lesnar style. He was ready to fucking go. And, you know, we can... Wrestlers can think of all these exciting ways to enter the ring. They can think about how they're gonna, how they're gonna sulk, how they're gonna look, how they're gonna, you know, do things in time to their music. But really, what wrestlers need to do is just look like they're ready for a fight, and Coughlin just does that perfectly. And while he did enter the ring, Dunkzilla just sat there, and there was a a really great moment of stillness before this match started. And there was there was time for what was happening to sink in because Coughlin's really been you know the few matches he's had in Red Pro has been squashing people. He's been dominating. You know, match times might not tell the whole story with Coughlin. He's been dominating. And we were allowed to sit and think for a minute that this wasn't gonna happen. It seems fairly obvious that with um, Aussie Open being part of United Empire, that Aussie Open are going to end up in New Japan. There's a New Japan connection there between these two. There's a little bit of a degree of separation there, but also Mark Davis is really important to Red Pro. We can't have Mark Davis squashed by Alex Coughlin. It wouldn't be appropriate. It'd be weird. This was Matt based to start with, but it was really interesting the way they wrestled because they really did wrestle. We're going to talk later on um, in the show, when we're talking about a different show, about how often wrestling can feel very, very cooperative. It can feel like it's two people kind of working together. Um, and that's something that when people grapple becomes really, really obvious. I think when you're doing high flying, then that's you're amazed by the, the athleticism, the spectacle, and, and you can kind of forgive that a little bit. You know, people criticise those Ricochet Osprey matches, and and in their analysis, and they you know they want to talk about how how scripted it seemed and how um, you know synchronised it was, but in their analysis, they missed the point that it was cool as fuck. With grappling, it's much harder to do, but they really didn't fall into those traps here. They really wrestled each other, and it was through the little things like. Um, rubbing uh, uh, forearms into each other's faces and, and slapping shoulders and it really felt like they were actually really wrestling with each other and they elevated this perfectly you know the first grapple was one way then the second one it was a little bit tougher it was a little bit more involved then the third one was a little bit more involved than that and you knew you knew that this was going to come to an end and it was going to come to an end in an absolutely devastating way and it was through Dunkzilla, just with a massive boot to the face. And it was really satisfying. That boot was just... You knew it was going to come. And you were almost expecting it and, and breathing it and just desperate for it to happen. And when it did, you knew you were in for some absolute, absolute brutal offence. And it did. The match just devolved into two dumb boys hitting each other. And more importantly, letting themselves be hit. It was almost like the contest at the start, the grappling was them trying to work out who was the better wrestler and then realising actually they weren't that interested who was the better wrestler. They wanted to find out who was the toughest man. 
that story really breathed its way all the way through this match, whether every submission attempt, every power bomb, it really felt like a struggle. The facial expressions were great, especially from Dunkzilla. I think his selling in this was next level. He didn't just sell things physically in this match. He sold things emotionally. He sold shock when he got caught out. Because, I mean, Dunkzilla lost the match. He took the pin on a German, but he really sold it as an upset. He sold it that he was caught out, that he he wasn't expecting this to happen. And it was, it was cool to have a, a finish that, that came out of nowhere. I think that that was... It, it was really important that they found a way to finish this match without losing anything from either man because I, you feel like these are going to face each other again down the road, maybe in bigger places. And it was really important that they 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 planted some seeds and they and they did. Often, I think a lazier booker would have told this story with a with a disqualification or a countout or a cheat. But there was a clean finish. There was a definitive win for Alex Coughlin. But the fact that they sold it as a surprise and Dunkzilla was able to sell that surprise really well, I think was a was masterful booking, really well executed. There were a couple of moments in this where, and again, I think this is going to be a bit of a common theme where it was a bit spotty. And when I say spotty, I don't necessarily mean high spots. You know, I think high spots are great. I'm not one of those people. Please fill matches with high spots. They're brilliant. But there are a few cliches now in wrestling that I think we really need to start moving away from. And the one here, which I, I really didn't like, was the running after, you know, they almost got to a count out and both men ran in the ring. And I'm kind of tired of that now. I think that that's something that we see far, far too often. And I think we, we need to get rid of. But this was a really, really great match, a really great opener. But I think... It's time to address the elephant in the room with Rev Pro, and I, I, I suggested this in the last show. And the sound, the production, is offensive. It's not just bad; it's inexcusably bad. The entrance music sounded like it was being played through a mobile phone. It was awful. I watch a lot of British wrestling. Uh, Red Pro is, is probably the biggest. I mean, you've got Progress and, and Red Pro in terms of resources that are, you know that, that are really high up there. And I'm watching shows from companies that have half, quarter, whatever, a fraction of the budget and star power and resources that Red Pro have. And they are getting the entrance sound perfectly mixed. I don't understand why RevPro can't do it. And it's been going on so long now that I don't understand why they're not fixing it. I really think that this is one of the things that are holding them back from being... Because they, they felt like they were on the cusp. Progress felt like major players when they were red hot. And RevPro never really did. And there's obviously a lot of reasons why that happened. You know, there was a lot of sort of cool factor reasons and and merch table culture kind of reasons why that never happened. But I really feel like if they want to be taken more seriously and they've got everything in the right places, they've got the great booking, they've got great wrestlers, they use wrestlers incredibly well 
I mean, there are wrestlers that work for Progress and RevPro. And if you compare someone like Dan Maloney, compare his work in RevPro and compare his work in Progress, it's the same guy. The only the, the only difference is booking. You know, they've got all of the right ideas, but the one thing they don't have is the production. And I, I think it is that big of a deal. I think if I was showing somebody this this match and I, I showed them the entrances, people would assume that this is a is a lower rate product, a lower grade product. And it isn't. The in-ring is not. The storytelling is fantastic. For me, it's the best promotion in Europe. But it looks and sounds like shit. They've got to invest in this. That being said, the second match was Dan Maloney versus uh, David Francisco, and I'm going to completely ruin what I've just said because actually, I think Maloney—I <laughs> think his entrance was helped by the sound. That is very much the exception that proves the rule. By the way, that shouldn't be something that we run with. Uh, but his entrance is just this arrogant, violent prick storming his way to the ring. So the oversaturated distortion that comes from this gain being cranked right up on the sound—it really worked for him. Um, he stood on the top rope when the lights were behind him and it was just, wow, it, it felt intimidating. To quote Joe Lanza, there's a line that he said about, um, I think it was Jay Briscoe, and he said, I'm a grown man who knows it's fake, but this man still scares me. And I feel that way about Dan Maloney. Dan Maloney could kick seven shades of shit out of me. And I, I, I think that he can really put that across and put that feeling across. And he did that brilliantly in this match. Then I saw David Francisco, and and he is a he's a an older wrestler. He's in the contenders division. He's he's not somebody that I'm overly familiar with outside of RevPro. I believe he's Portuguese, um, but he's got something. David Francisco. He's a wrestler that he's really easy to write off. And and when they stood in the ring, Maloney and Francisco, at the start of this, I'll be honest, I was hoping for a squash. Um, you know, Francisco was kind of strutting back, uh, back and forth with his hand on his hips. He looked a little bit bored. And I thought, Dan Maloney should absolutely knock his block off. Um, but actually, this was a little bit... This was an, actually a competitive match. Maloney was great through this. He was he was incredibly brutal. Um, he... he the, the, the body slams and the, the, the it's weird to talk about body slams as being an impressive move but when you're somebody as intimidating as frightening as Dan Maloney it is um, but Francisco was absolutely fantastic he played the smart game there were several times where he was able to outsmart him with athleticism and if you look at David Francisco he's, he's got a body like mine he doesn't really look like a wrestler if I'm being completely honest but he sold that out, uh, that intelligence and that that those wrestling chops. And actually, going back to that point about Dungzilla, I think it was Dan Maloney that sold that just as well. He was able to really slip into this role of being the incredibly tough but not very intelligent fighter. And David Francisco was able to tell the opposite. And Francisco was a fantastic underdog. He was beaten down and he kept fighting back and fighting back and fighting back despite the absolutely amazing drop kicks uh, from uh, from uh, Dan Maloney. It was a little bit repetitive, though. I think that fight backs are great. The underdog being beaten down is fantastic. 
but it just happened one too many times. I think Francisco should have been been put away a little bit a little bit quicker. Maloney's back into a habit that he started this year of talking too much. I think a figure like Dan Maloney, as someone as intimidating as him, can say a lot more in silence. You know, think about the way he left the ring at the last show, just staring at the camera. That said more than any smart-ass comment that he made as he was beating down Francisco. The laughing at him and the teasing him and the and the trash talk in the ring. It's just not Maloney's strength and it, it feels like he's almost forcing himself to do something that he doesn't really need to do. He doesn't need this trash talk to be effective. If anything, it's taken away from what makes him brilliantly effective. So he just needs a little bit more silence. And I feel like that's a really, really easy fix. Then we have Rhea O'Reilly and facing Hyen. The bell was about to ring and then some music started and it was Alex Windsor who came out the champion. Uh, Laura Mateo couldn't make it, so she asked to make this a three-way. They sort of shrug and think, well, why not? And then they make it for the belt, which he's setting up Windsor as a fighting champion, which is which is good, I guess. Um, it's three baby faces, though. And I don't really feel like it was a smart move by Windsor. Yeah, she comes across tough in the sense that she's a fighting champion. But she comes across as kind of stupid that she would put it up in a three-way match because, well, you could... The old cliche of, you know, you could not even be involved in the finish and still lose the title. I did enjoy Gideon Gray's line on commentary about how they've got approval from the fat man upstairs, obviously referencing Quilden when he was right next to him, which was a little bit mean, but it fits Gideon Gray's character. In terms of the match itself then, booking aside, this wasn't great. It had all the cliches of a three-way match. You know, a clothesline happened and Rhea just rolled outside. She wasn't selling. She was rolling outside and letting the other two wrestle for a while before coming back in. And again, talking about that double count out avoidance that, uh, from the first match, this is another one of those cliches that I think we could do without. I think if you're booking a three-way match, you have an odd well, any multi multi person match, you have an obligation not to do this now. Because it, it really stands out as, as as being really silly. There were a couple of moments in this like Hyen pulled the middle rope as Rhea was running towards her. Um and I think she meant to pull the top rope, you know, so she could kind of fall over it. So Rhea had to pause and pretend she was gonna go through that anyway. She needed that little moment to think. And that was a bit of a theme, really. The match, Hyen was given spots and chances to dominate, but she couldn't really do it. It was often too slow and too contrived. Uh, there was that DDT and netbreaker spot where one wrestler ends up causing another wrestler to give another wrestler a DDT while giving them a neckbreaker. And I know I'm explaining that really badly, but I know you know the spot that I'm talking about because we've seen it a thousand times. It did break down into a genuine three-way battle, to be fair, and it wasn't, you know, take a, the taking turns thing all the way through, but there were just a few too many botches here, and, and the botches, if I'm honest, made me feel a little bit uneasy. And when they did things like climb the top rope for another cliche, the Tower of Doom spot, I just felt a little bit uncomfortable with it, really. Not great. Then, of course, we had 
the Will Ospreay match. And I feel, going back to what I said at the start about how Rev Pro seemed to be able to throw people together and have you interested in the match because of what they've done in the past, Will Ospreay feels like the worldwide example of that. You can put him against almost anybody and I'll want to see it. But not just want to see it, but I'll think, oh, I wonder what that's going to be like. And when I saw Lee Hunter's name, I was really intrigued. Lee Hunter is a guy who I know from being in a tag team and the Hunter Brothers, and he's somebody who's kind of a Red Pro mid-carder. Um, I've not seen him live a whole lot because he's a, he's a bit of a local talent um, and he tends to wrestle down south and I live up north. It's, it's as simple as that. So I knew he was good. I'd seen him before. I knew he was really competent and he's very capable. But I didn't really know what to expect from him in this match. And, and, and I think that that is a testament of a good promotion that can get you excited to see something from a, a curious point of view as well. Obviously, they've got to have the, the quality and the excitement and the drawing power. But for people like us, for the, for the intelligentsia, so to speak, it's nice to have these moments where you feel like you can evaluate someone's performance that Lee Hunter's been put in this position where we're going to get to see what he can really do. And what he could really do is really impressive. He was very confident. He was very straight-faced. He was he really fit this feel that RevPro have at the minute. He grappled Osprey to the ground at one point and, and as, he, as he wrenched his arm, he, he screamed, is this your wanking hand at him? Which is... Which is great, you know. It's just, it's just funny. It's a good, it's a, it's the kind of line that a real dumb bruiser would would make. Uh, he really wanted to push the fact that he wasn't intimidated by Osprey, and this was, this was sort of elevated, I suppose, in 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 a strange juxtaposition from the commentary because they were talking about the elephant in the room, that if Lee Hunter wins this match, that would be the biggest thing that would ever happen to him. From a kayfabe point of view, if he wins this match, he's a big deal. To get a singles win against somebody like Will Ospreay for a guy like Lee Hunter is massive. And you got the impression that for Lee Hunter that was that was bubbling underneath the surface as he wrestled, and I think that was that was a really great story, a match that in a lot of places and with a lot of wrestlers would have been dismissed um, easily dismissed. I, I I don't think we could here because they really leaned into the story. Another thing that the commentary were right about here was Osprey. And they said that Osprey brings his A game to every single venue and every single match and he, he absolutely did here. He's a complete wrestler. We've just had the Wrestling Observer Awards announced and he's not in the conversation for Best High Flyer anymore. And I think, in a way, that hints a, a promotion. And I'm not trying to besmirch the, the High Flyer Award. I think it's great. Um, I love that exciting wrestling. But it, it's almost a... Once you move into the Wrestler of the Year conversation, you sort of move away from that award a little bit. And I, I think that Osprey has done that brilliantly. He's got the perfectly timed powder. You know, he, he's got the expression when someone in the audience calls him a wanker. I have to say, though, that as much as I do think that Osprey is a complete wrestler, I think that he still does need someone to rein him in. And he's 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 almost, in a strange way, he's, he's excessive in, in every way. He's excessive even when he's being restrained. 
with this one, he's telling stories with headlocks and back rakes, but there was there were still times where I think he just went a little bit extra, as the kids would say. There was a couple of moments here where there was some Shawn Michaels-esque shitty selling. And I, I don't believe he was doing it in a Shawn Michaels uh, with Shawn Michaels' intentions, where he was he was doing it because he was he was throwing his toys out of the pram. He wasn't at all. He felt like he was selling Lee Hunter's offense to get him over. But there was a couple of times where he maybe just flipped a little bit too much, and and he oversold it in a lot of ways. There was a rubbish spot in this, literally a rubbish spot in the Osprey got hit with a full bin bag. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that was a great spot. He's not my my favourite spot involving a bag. I think that was Lance Archer's carrier bag spot at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, was it two years ago against Moxley? But it was it was really good. There was a little bit too much brawling on the outside for me. I've, I've talked about that before, how I think that it's fine on VOD because we can see it, but a lot of the crowd can't see it. In fact... Not many can see what's going on when you're wrestling at the bar and it sucks a little bit of the atmosphere out. As much as I'm praising Lee Hunter, he has got a ceiling. You know, it was he used buckshot lariats and figure fours. It was all competent and it was wrestling really well executed. And it reminded me of why the Hunters are perfect additions to the Red Pro roster because they, they can do everything really competently and Lee Hunter was, was competent here. It might not have been particularly exciting, but he put on a really competent match and, and Osprey was really good here as well. And at the end, Osprey mocked Shibata, which I thought was, was really funny. He did, he did the sit-down thing. But yeah, this isn't going to end up on any match of the year list. It's not going to be Will Osprey's finest moment of the year. But he's Will Osprey. He's excellent. And Lee Hunter is really good and it was exactly what you'd expect. Really good. Then we had a tag team match. Shota Umino and Yota Suji against Lycos Jim. Which is Kid Lycos and Kid Lycos 2. Gideon Gray had a little bit of a rant at the start. And I, I, I tweeted out earlier in the week um, when the Observer Awards hit that it's a bit of a travesty that Edge gets votes for sitting on a stool and screaming about going to a place or that place and he gets votes for best on interviews and Gideon Gray doesn't and I feel like sometimes in wrestling we look at things and fans look at things and they like things ironically and and, and it kind of it ends up when you have an opinion like Gideon Gray people think you're saying it and being ironic and trying to be funny and, I, and I'm not I, I do genuinely believe that Gideon Gray should get votes for best on interviews I mean, I don't think he is he is the best. But here he's saying that he introduces Yotosuji and he says, Yotosuji, admittedly a disappointment. And when he's announcing Shota Umino, he yells the name in his face. And he thinks he's doing all this because he thinks he's making Yotosuji jealous and he's he's making Shota Umino chuffed that, 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 that he wants him for the Legion. And actually, neither of them give a shit. Yota Suji's grinning face was perfect. He, 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 it seemed to be that he didn't even really understand what Gideon Gray was saying. Yet Gideon Gray is so arrogant and so self-absorbed. I've called him the Rick Mail of wrestling before. He thought that Yota Suji was crushed that he's chosen. He's uh, choosing Shota Umino. Absolutely fantastic stuff. 
Now, it has to be said that Lycos Gym aren't my favourite tag team in the world. I, I find them I find them a bit dull. They're from a, a sort of a school of wrestling that, you know, the, the Schadenfreude school of wrestling that I don't particularly enjoy. And it it feels like they're casualties of that Schadenfreude world. You know, Chris Brooks has gone to Japan, Aussie Open are, are killing it. And it feels really that Lycos Jim are all, well, Lycos, I suppose, and I know Joe Nelson came later on, but Lycos are, are all that's left. And they're committed to this silly gimmick and committed to this kind of tongue in cheek heel routine. And I, I don't really think it works that well. I don't really find it particularly entertaining. I think this was a really confused match. It started with Lycos being presented as significantly weaker. They were punching and punching and punching and punching um, Shota Umino and punching and punching and punching um, Yota Suji. Um, and it was being no-sold. They were presented for the first five minutes or so of this match as being significantly, significantly weaker. Yet later on, I was expected that they were able to, to have that fight back. It felt like they were committing to a squash and then didn't really. The punches were no soul, but the headlocks were. And it, it it spoke to a problem that I have with a lot of Lycos gym matches, that it, it felt like they were doing moves. It didn't feel like that they'd really thought about what those moves built to. It was just kind of a cool spot after a cool spot. It reminded me that when they wrestled, they remind me of the Star Trek reboots. I know that sounds like a bit of a tangent, but when you watch the, the new Star Trek films, they feel like they, they've they planned all the high spots, all the big action spots, and then just came up with a story that will connect them all. And it feels like Lycos Jim wrestle like that. They plan the high spots and then try and connect them and, and, and it never it doesn't really work like that. You can't connect them uh, later on. I don't know. I didn't like it. The near falls weren't really believable and, and maybe it's the Lycos gym thing. Sometimes, you know, we all have those wrestlers. It's not a personal thing, but we all have those wrestlers that, that create just kind of a block in our heads and, and maybe I just didn't I, I just couldn't I can't really get past that. I certainly wasn't going to do that here. Um but Shota and Yota were about as uh, as good as you'd expect. Then we didn't have the main event, but I think for a lot of people, this will be what brought them to the show. We had Gabriel Kidd versus Kyle Fletcher. First of all, about Gabriel Kidd, it's been announced that he's taking some time off. Um, he's had a few mental health issues, and I think that's a that's a really good idea. It feels like the gimmick and, and reality are, are blurring a little bit with him, and his gimmick is fantastic. He's the, He'll kick the shit out of you, and he's tough, and he wears his heart on his sleeve, and I think there's a little bit too much reality in there and, and maybe he needs time to go away and, and, and separate those two things and I hope he does I hope he's able to do that this started off with Kid and Fletcher just staring at each other and it's strange because we always think of Fletcher as small and we still do even though we recognise that he's built and he's got bigger and you know he's become ripped now he's, he's, re he's in great shape He's still got that feel of someone who's a little bit smaller, but actually he was looking down on Kid here. And I think that when we, when he eventually, hopefully gets to New Japan and, and there's fresh eyes on him and there's people seeing him that maybe haven't seen him for a while or haven't been keeping up with their work, 
in Australia and in uh, in England, then they'll see that they they won't see that. You know, they'll, they'll see him as being as being the sort of the big star, the big the the, the great looking star that he's always needed to become. This went straight to fighting, and it was great. There was slapping. It there was a genuine body slam at the start. I feel like I'm talking about body slams a lot here, but the body slams here were really good as well. You know, when I say genuine, it wasn't assisted at all. Fletcher had to really wrench Gabe Kidd up, and that was obviously done on purpose. He wasn't sandbagging. It was done, and it looked great. It really built this up as a fight. Um, Fletcher's really building up those net bustles for when he goes to Japan. The shots he was taking were absolutely brutal here. The chop battle, and it was, again, with these things, with kid matches and these big hard-hitting matches, it's not just the chops, it's the way people react to them. And he's taking these, these huge slaps to the chest, but they've got to pretend that it doesn't hurt. And Fletcher looked tougher than kid here. Fletcher really, really came off great. Um, I think the big take here is that we all know that Aussie Open are, are, are great. They've always been great since they came on the scene. They've always been entertaining. They've been over since the second they came to England and, and with, with really, really good reason. But they've really found another level recently. Lockdown's been really good for them. They've gone away and they've got their shit together. And, and I, Fletcher in particular, he's at that point where they talk about where the body meets the mind. You know he's 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 young, he's athletic, but he's starting to get those smarts about him, and he, he's he's now able to be dominant in a really brutal way. You know it was often a case of he was the the guy who made the hot tag. Well, now he can take a hot tag. You know he's he's at that point, and he, he's starting to add little things like repeated hits with this, but he could add some screams to it that felt genuine and and, and terrifying. Just a rip-roaring back and forth, massive lariats, great big drop kicks. And Kid just wrestled with so much heart. He was dominated in this match. And he, he, he really put across that idea of someone who was scratching and fighting back. And you know, huge Michinoku drivers just were, were keeping him at bay. And he really fought back brilliantly. And again, just like the opening match, Kid, the Aussie Open guy lost. The kid, kid won, but Kid snuck it. So even though on paper this will go down as being 2-0 to LA Dojo, it was Fletcher's match. This was Fletcher came away from this looking strongest. And that, I think that's really, really important. That we can't go away from this with any sort of definitive okay, yeah, you know, Fletcher uh, lost, but we can't go away from this feeling like there's been anything definitive and there's been anything settled here. And I, I really like that. There was a sit-down at the end and there was a second Shibata reference at the end. Will Ospreay came out and they sat across from each other cross-legged. And This is becoming, with RevPro at least, a little bit of the new risk control spot. Um, I mean, it didn't help that Quilder was shouting, Oh, wow, this is symbolic, as they sat across from each other and but Kid's promo was great. He looked at Osprey and he said, I don't care about losing because I've lost a lot in my life. And people in the crowd were talking and he turned to them and he told them to shut up, you know, because this is my life and all he cares about is being respected. Someone in the crowd, when he did this, there's a there's a brilliant British chant and if you're not part of the scene and you're not part of the European wrestling scene, I don't know if you really get it because it is really silly. 
uh, but someone shouted wrestling as he sat down and I, I thought <laughs> and he's talking about you know how he's desperate to be respected and somebody shouted that which I thought was was a bit of a dick move but kind of you know kind of funny at the same time um it's it's what people shout when everyone actually does like a little bit of you know a wrist lock exchange or something it was just a really weird chant from somebody which is you know it made me chuckle a little bit then we had the main event and this was a notebook match. I mean, I would probably actually put um, Kyle Fletcher and Gabriel Kidd in the notebook just. It scraped in there. But Michael Oku versus Luke Jacobs for the undisputed British Cruiserweight Championship was a notebook match. This was 4.25, 4.5 stars. This was unexpectedly great. And actually... I feel stupid for saying it was unexpectedly great because really, I should have expected this to be exactly what it was. Michael Oku is red hot. And he really is a testament to RevPro. He, he, I don't think Michael Oku could exist anywhere other than in RevPro. And the, he has a connection with this crowd that is, is just unheard of, uh, really, at the minute, anywhere else. You know, Aussie Open could wrestle anywhere and get the same reaction, and because they're great. And, but Michael Oku, I don't think he could. I don't think he could go just you know to to North Wrestling just to pick a name out of the hat and and get the same reaction he gets at Red Pro. I think a lot of that is appreciation for what he's done for the company, how much he's sacrificed in those sort of big matches of his health, and he really has gone out and he's killed himself for the, for these fans, and, and and fans react to that and respect it. Um. But he's a star in this room. An absolute star. Um, Luke Jacobs is a wrestler from Manchester, from where I'm from. and I've always been a little bit conflicted about um, Luke Jacobs and, and the young guns that the tag team is in with Ethan Allen. I really like the young guns. I like both Ethan Allen and Luke Jacobs. But in a lot of ways, they've been victims of what the scene is at the moment. They've been put in positions that traditionally they wouldn't have been put in. They've been pushed and elevated a little bit too quickly. And it felt like they went from being in, in small shows. I've, I've seen them a lot in, in, in a couple of smaller Manchester and, and, and Salford promotions to being in spots like, not even necessarily like this, but at at the Victoria Warehouse for the uh, ninth anniversary show against Aussie Open. And it felt like they were overwhelmed in those spots. It felt like they they, they weren't ready for them. And Luke Jacobs is kind of having to find himself in front of us. He's having to find out who he is on a stage that isn't quite appropriate to his level. And, And he's great. He's clearly got the potential to be absolutely brilliant. He's just got to work out how he's going to do that. And I think he did in this match, or at least started to. Luke Jacobs should absolutely be a power junior. He's still very young. We don't know what size he's going to have as he gets older. But at the minute, this is what he should be doing. We tend to think of juniors and cruiserweights as people who flip around as high flyers. But what they need are people like Luke Jacobs. Bruisers. Fighters. 
He's absolutely fantastic at that. And he was great all the way through this match. The way he reacted to shoulder blocks. The way he wrenched in headlocks. The way he would grab ankle locks early as statements of intent that he was here to win. And it really gave Oku a really interesting rub for his style. Oku could dance all around the ropes, but then Jacobs could just hit him with a boot. Jacobs' facial expressions were fantastic. He was serious. There were moments where it would fall outside, but then Jacobs would shove Oku back in the ring and follow him in a determined way. And he, he never felt lost. He never felt like he was struggling. He never felt like he was on the edge of his ability like he has done a few times against bigger wrestlers. He felt like the dominant person that he could portray so, so well. Obviously, a lot of this is helped by the fact that Oku plays the underdog like absolutely nobody else. He was able to fight back really well and get us all behind this big comeback. But then he was also able to put himself in a spot for Jacobs to just ruin it perfectly. I'm thinking at one point there was a he did a, a lion salt and he kind of flipped around and then Jacobs kicked him in the side of the head and it was everyone was in a perfect position. And I think a lot of that was down to Oku. He's just he's deceptively competent and I, I, that sounds like a, an insult it sounds like I'm kind of dabbing with Frank Pace but I'm not because his style is very wild he's gangly he's got long limbs and he's kind of everywhere at once on the screen but actually when you look at what he's doing he's incredibly competent and he's always in the right place there were slight pacing issues here it was a little bit flabby in the middle but the kickouts were great there was a huge frog splash I thought that was the end of it the frustration that Jacobs portrayed was brilliant. He was almost gassed. I mean, maybe that was genuine. Maybe he was actually gassed and out of breath. But he, he, I, he looked and it fit and it worked him with what he was doing. He was spitting. He was looking at the crowd and almost kind of having that jock frustration. Two brilliant frog splashes ended it and Oku got the win. Um, but really, again... The wins and losses of this show don't really tell the whole story because to me, Jacobs was the star. We know Oku's the star um, of the promotion. We know how great he is. But Jacobs was the star of this match and I, I really think he should be murdering cruiserweights from now on. I think that this is a little niche and a little role where he can really show us what he can do. And if he ends up getting bigger, and because he might, I'm, I don't know his age, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was like 19. I, I don't know that, but I know he's very young. But I think these early matches with Jacobs are really important because, he's, like I said before, he's been put on a scene that's going to get a lot more eyes on him than, than, than really probably should be at this point in his career. So he needs to make sure that, he, that what people are seeing is impressive. And, and I think the way he's going to do that is in matches like this. And also by sticking with bookers like Quilden as well. There was a thing... Um, when wrestling started to come back and we started to have these shows behind closed doors, that the young guns were kind of flipping between RevPro and Progress. And, and, and RevPro is much, much better for guys um, like the young guns. I don't really think that Progress is going to do very much for them. And I'm not... That sounds, again, sounds like a dig. It isn't. I'm going to talk about some tag, team, tag teams in, in Progress that I really, really like. But I think Jacobs is, is, is much better off where he is. So again, a show that would be easy to skip. But I really don't think you should. I, it, it was really enjoyable. There was 
um, arguably two notebook matches on this show. And how often does that happen? How many shows do you watch now from any company, never mind a, a British independent company, how many shows do you watch with two notebook matches? I, I really think that this is um, this is something to get something to get excited about. I think it shows how great they are. And uh, Luke Jacobs is battling Kyle Fletcher at the next show on March the sixth in a couple of days. And uh, again, just that on its own is is it's just you know Alex Coughlin and Mark Davis are having a rematch, and you're just looking at these matches from the next show, thinking, yeah, I really want to watch that. It's just it's all gelling together really well. I should point out as well, a couple of matches that have been announced for the next York Hall show. It's Epic Encounters. And I'm I'm actually gutted about this show because I, in my job, I have to work maybe two or three Sundays a year. It's just a, it's a very, very occasional thing. And I, I signed up to work a Sunday, May 22nd, not realising that there was a York Hall show that I could have gone to. And then they've announced two matches for that show. And it's Will Ospreay versus Minoru Suzuki and Aussie Open versus The Velocities. Aussie Open versus Velocities was a lot of people's match of the year last year. And I don't think I really need to talk about Will Ospreay and Minoru Suzuki. By the way, have a look at the poster for this show as well. The poster, is at, it's got Will Ospreay sat in a, a red leather chair, the chair that Morpheus would sit in in The Matrix. I've realised now this is my second show and I've, I've mentioned The Matrix in both shows. I'm going to stop doing that, I think. I don't want this to, that to become a thing. But he's sat in this red leather chair. He's got his sunglasses on. He's got this arrogant look on his face. The, the gaudy belt, the Revro belt that's just a little bit too big. And he looks like a tosser. He's got that meet me at McDonald's haircut, that curly hair that all the chavs have. But in the background is the hooded Minoru Suzuki looking like he's about to march in and teach that young prick a lesson. And I, I really wish I could be there for that match. And If the crowd are half as hot as they were for the Oku match, they're going to be into Minoru Suzuki. And I, I really wish I could be there to scream Kazanina Ray with everybody, but I'll, obviously I'll be talking about it on this show as soon as I can. So that's Red Pro. Great promotion. Great show. Absolutely loved it. Do you remember when you used to care about progress show titles? I don't know if this is just me, but I used to really want to know what the reference was. And I was often disappointed. If I, I didn't always find them particularly funny, but if I did know, I felt like I wanted to know. I think Part of the reason why I might have been disappointed is because I, I don't really get the a lot of the jokes that they used to make. I, I didn't really find certain things funny, but I I always felt like I, I should know. It was almost a, a cultural failing if, if I didn't. And The show that we're going to talk about today was from Manchester, and it, it was chapter 128, and the show title is Technique. I've not looked up why it's called technique i don't know if that's related to a meme or maybe it's just a word that that they thought was funny um the commentators um hustle malone and ollie spring would would shout it out every now and then um 
So I, I guess it must mean something. But uh, talking and not caring, this was in Manchester, and this is by territory, and this is the first progress show in Manchester that I I didn't attend. The prices were insane. The prices were thirty five pounds a ticket because I, I have to have a seat. I'm a disabled man. I, I can't stand up. Um, I have to pay for a seat. And even if I could stand up, it was twenty six. I think it, it, I'm just not. It just doesn't warrant it. It's just not something I can get excited enough to 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 pay that that kind of money for. And it seemed like a few people agreed with me, but actually, considering on Twitter before the show, there were pictures going round of them, them them advertising how many seats they had left, which which by the way never happened um, in the past. You know, shows would sell out pretty much straight away you could you could always get a standing seat until a few days before but seats were just gone like you had i had to take make sure i took the time out of work to buy a seat um but there were still seats left at this and there were there were noticeably quite a few empty seats around the ritz um which is a shame because i think the ritz is a great venue i've got a lot of happy memories in the ritz from being a student and and getting drunk in there um I actually I preferred Rockworld. I was always a Jilly's Rockworld kind of guy, but um, the Ritz had a bouncy floor, and uh, I always remember having there being lots of corridors where, you know, you'd, you'd walk past goths passed out, and it was always a an exciting, exciting night at the Ritz. Um, my wife still goes. They do these these power ballad nights, and I I don't ask her what happens at these power ballad nights. I don't want to know. Um, I've heard her singing power ballads and if it's a few hundred women like that singing like that then I think it's best that I, I don't know anything about it it sounds horrendous uh, but anyway we're here to talk about wrestling we're back with uh, like I say chapter 128 this was called Technique uh, this show and I saw the layout and I, I did feel a little bit strange you know it's a very distinct venue the way the seats are at the entrance, and like I say, I've been to every Ritz show, uh, Ritz show, um, and I wasn't there, and I, I didn't really feel like I wanted to be. I, but it, I did at the same time. I had a, a strange pull to it, and I think that sums up progress in a lot of ways. There's a, a strange pull to them that we can't quite ignore, and I don't know if I want to ignore it. I think if it didn't have the progress name, and I saw this card, I would I would still want to watch this show. It would still be a top-tier British independent show. But it's progress, isn't it? It's got that kind of smell about it. Simon Miller's banter started the show, and he's kind of our new sensible soccer Jim Smallman. And I was polite about Simon Miller in my first episode, and I, I don't really feel like being polite about him after this show, because... His banter didn't even really make sense. You see these things on the internet now a lot where they take an AI and they make this AI read lots of a certain comic or lots of a, you know, listen to lots of a podcast and, and to create a dialogue based on what they've read. And Simon Miller feels like an AI that's been told to read all of a subreddit's comments and turn it into a stand-up show. It doesn't really make any sense. There was a bit where he 
said he was going to thank every single one of us and then said, oh, no, I'm not. And then he gave, gave a man a handshake and then the crowd chanted for handshakes and then he gave them handshakes and then people chanted one more time and then he said, oh, how has this happened? I don't know, Simon. I, I don't know how this has happened. Um, it, it just isn't funny. It, it just isn't funny on any level. It's a mix of weird phrases that we hear a lot on the internet said out loud on a microphone. There's that incredulous shock at themselves often in the presentation that just shows a real lack of humour and originality. You know, at one point the commentators said, don't adjust your sets. And then one of them said, did you really just say don't adjust your sets? Is this the, you know, aren't we fucking wacky? And, and, and wacky just doesn't do much for me. I think, I don't think they have to get serious necessarily. I think they have to get good. You know, <laughs> I think that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. It doesn't, there's no rule on how to present your wrestling show. You can be silly. You can be lighthearted. Uh, you can have the element of comedy. Progress did it really well for a long time. But you've got to be good. You can't just say things that you've heard on the ether. Read, do this weird kind of tribute act to jokes that somebody said that you vaguely remember. It just doesn't really work. But into the wrestling then, and we're back with Lycos Jim. They had a busy fortnight. Um... Lycos, uh, Jim had stolen the belts from uh, tag team belts from Smoking Aces at the last show, which is, which is rotten, um, to say the least. Um, but I, I really like the Smoking Aces. I think that it's they're very NXT UK. They feel like Pete Dunne with no teeth. You know, and I don't think that's just the appearance. They wrestle in a very bruiser weight kind of style, but they're a tag team. And I, I think that they're really good at it. They do that role really, really well. Um, There was a big fight to start with, but it, it went straight outside. And really, this was Sterling's show. Charlie Sterling, I thought, was absolutely fantastic. He's got the power... He's got crazy moonsaults. He carries himself like a fighter. And I really think he's one to watch. And I, I think he's really solid too. He doesn't seem to make many mistakes. He's not a particularly experienced wrestler really, but he could do things like a double hurricane and he just got his legs up like it was nothing. Um, and Nick Riley's no slouch either. You know, he does an amazing set out powerbomb. I, really, I think Charlie Sterling's probably the star of the two. Um, but I, I really like the Smoking Aces. I think they're they're a little bit cheesy. The promo at the end and the name and and you know there are things that that, that don't quite work with them, but they're almost there. And I going back to what I said earlier on in the show about the Young Guns, I would like to see the Smoking Aces in a proper promotion. I feel like that would would really help them. Um, there were a couple of silly things that I didn't like about this match. Like they did the brawling outside. Um, to start with, um, but, but like before the bell rang, and then when they got back into the ring, the bell rang and the match started. But that time, that brawling outside was a little bit too long. So when the bell rung, I kind of assumed it had rung already. It felt like it was far too late for it to happen. Um, 
I have to say I have a lot of respect for Nick Riley for doing a moonsault off the balcony. I feel like when you see that in a venue that you know and you know how high that balcony is, I've seen a lot of bands standing on that balcony um, and it is very, very high up. Um, but this this is the Ritz and it's Progress Chapter 128. It's not the Budokan. I It really felt like a big spot that wasn't really in the best place you know nobody's going to watch this apart from us you know there's a few nerds listening to this podcast and there's there's me sitting here reviewing it i i I felt like it was a big spot for a small position but hey look you can't you you can't deny the, the the effort and the risk um of course like us jim got out some baking trays which which is very very wacky um but again i could have this problem with Lycos it could be stopping me from really getting into this but again I saw the same problems it was confused, it felt like they were being squashed one minute and then doing cool moves with a Z the next and there's always going to be a there's always going to be a, a ceiling on them um, whenever someone wrestles Lycos Jim that ceiling is going to be this would have been good with better opponents next up we have Big Guns Joe against Scott Oberman um Big Guns Joe is a really strange wrestler. The best I've ever seen him is at Grand Pro in Hindley, which is which is near Wigan of, of, of Snake Pit fame for the for the international audience. Um, his gimmick is that he's not a particularly big wrestler. Um, he's 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 defined. He's he's got muscles. He's not you know I don't mean skinny, but he's he's short and he's not particularly large in the muscly sense, but he thinks he is. He's convinced that he's absolutely massive. Um, and that gimmick works brilliantly in Grand Pro because it's a very traditional British wrestling promotion. Um, he comes out with two big bodyguards and the crowd are always molten, uh, booing him and, and you know trying to put, put him in his place. And it works really well. But he's a blue eye in progress. And they introduce him in grams and millimetres to have the, the biggest number. And he has those moments where he'll do a delicious kind of strength spot, like a like a, a, a deadlift gut wrench. And he, he actually does the strength spots, you know, even though he's he's trying to make out like he's hedge big guns Joe. And, you know, you think, well, no, he's not. But then he does the strength spot. And it, it's, it's great. There's a really great irony to that. But he's not really in a promotion where you can be cartoony in that British wrestling way it's cartoony in a different way I think progress, it's cartoony in an NXT 2.0, NXT UK way um, and he just ends up being a little bit confused uh, Scott Oberman, he's very young um, according to the commentary he's vicious and violent, he has a big entrance he, he has the pro wrestling snarl and the hand gesture and he, he stops on the apron and he feels very much like he's playing pro wrestling at the minute. It doesn't feel like he's, you know, he's part of Northwest Strong, but he doesn't have that grounded nature that Northwest Strong have. I, I love Northwest Strong. Um, I love the idea of them being these traveling fighters, um, but he feels a bit too pro wrestling for that. Um, but he is, he is very young, um, and there's obviously time to come. Um, this was a bit of a boring match, really. Not much to report on. The crowd was silent. There wasn't much heat there, and um, they did work hard. But it just needed something. It felt like it was it was two people doing moves. There needed to be some kind of story there. 
you know, maybe even I, I don't often advocate for this, but maybe someone needed to work a limb for a little bit because it was it was just nothing really to report. Then we had a women's match. It was Lana Austin versus Alexis Falcon. Um, Lana Austin's character is definitely getting a lot better. I, I think she's a little bit hit and miss in progress, which is always disappointing because she's a wrestler that I really, really like. Um, but she's getting it a little bit more in progress, I think. You know, she comes out and she makes someone stand up and get her a chair so she could stand on it to get in the ring. And she's got this kind of stuck-up, snobby character who who thinks everybody, you know, every man in the room is, is looking at her and she wants to make them know, let them know that she hates them and they're idiots and she doesn't like them. And I, I like that. I think it's it's a really good gimmick. Um, and the story here is that Lana Costa Alexis Falcon, her place in the Women's Championship Tournament to be number one contender. Um, the problem is with this, at the start, there was just a horrendous promo. Uh, it went full, full panto. You know, um, Alexis Falcon accused Lana Austin of being up past her bedtime. Um, this is pro wrestling. You don't need the corny promo to tell this story. It, it really didn't need it at all. Um, and it's a shame because the match could have been good. Alexis Falcon really put in some proper effort into this. There was a big bump into the chairs that was that was really. Um, unnecessary I suppose and Lana was brilliant at the hunting heel the camera work in this actually was was absolutely fantastic um, it, there was lots of moments where Alexis Falcon would be selling and Lana really knew when to let moments breathe and the camera would catch a look in the background some really great facial shots uh, Lana really knew when to lay in a suplex and, and give a really strong forearm and showed a really simple story of the heel that, that was difficult to beat it was just a shame that the presentation at, at times was, was very, very panto. The ending was a little bit flat. They couldn't really peak the match the way it needed to be. Um, Alexis didn't really seem to be able to pick up what Lana was laying down for her at times, um, which which is what it is. Um, which is a bit of a shame, but I, I, again, it's, it's the second match on the card. I, I don't think it's worth getting too upset about. It's just one of them, you know, when you watch a match and you think, well, this could have been better. So it's, it's got that frustration there, really. Then we have Luke Jacobs against Spike Trevay. Um, we've seen one match from Luke Jacobs, and now we're seeing a very, very different one against Spike Trevay. The, the match in Red Pro was probably my match of the fortnight. I thought it was fantastic. Um, Spike Trevay, his gimmick is that he's a Tory tosser, uh, which I think is a great idea for a gimmick uh, on the surface of it. Um, for the, the international audience, the Tories are the party that are currently in power, Boris Johnson's party, and and they have sort of their Tory youth are, are very much like Spike Trevay. You know, they they think they're very much above everybody else, and and that's the that's the stereotype anyway. That that's what Spike Trevay's leaning into, and he's got that sneer down to a T. Um, there was a brilliant moment. Um, I was very proud of my fellow Mancunians, I suppose, in a way. Or maybe I was, I don't know, but they announced him as being from Cambridge and people just booed that, which I thought was, you know, a little bit mean. But we know why he's he's, he's, he's resting out of Cambridge. We know what they're going for. So we're just joining in the story. I'm not trying to disrespect the wonderful people of Cambridge. But, you know, the, we when you say Cambridge to somebody in the north, it, you think of somebody like Spike Trevay. So I thought that was quite funny. I think the problem really with the gimmick in Spike Trevay is as good as it is, in theory, 
in practice, it's not 1994. Um, when he's saying things like, I'm not inviting you to my party, it's very third wall breaking. It's not heat. It's not me disliking Spike Trevay. It's me being given indications that I should dislike Spike Trevay. And he's given me indications and hints of how I should behave according to that. So it all feels like pro wrestling. That's the problem with these these kind of gimmicks, these outward strange gimmicks. Like gimmicks where it's real and it, I believe that person can exist is great. But when they're playing a character, it kind of just it loses you a little bit. And it's a little bit intangible. You don't really know why. And I think that's what it is. I think it's that I'm... I don't actually feel what I'm being told to feel. I'm just acting like I do. This was completely juxtaposed with Luke Jacobs. I mean, his gimmick is that he's an angry young man. That That's a, the perfect illustration of the opposite. I don't know Luke Jacobs. I don't know if he is an angry young man, but he's got a, his hair cut like a lad who spent a lot of time in isolation at school. Um didn't really fit with progress as well as I think it should have done because I, I think this is the thing they should be leaning into. Um, and Luke Jacobs was great. He was throwing Trevay around with big boots. The chair shots were brutal. Um, Trevay is competent. And again, that sounds like a criticism, but actually it's notable in progress these days. He is where he should be. He can sell things. He, he He's really good. The problem was this was a no DQ match. And just like with the Trevay gimmick, there's lots of simulacra here that we have to recognise. We have to have moments where we're getting chair sh uh, chairs from under the ring and tables from under the ring. And there was another DVD into the chairs, but we'd had lots of chair spots already. Um, things were brutal on the surface, but actually they were so slow to set up table shots and... Um, it said a lot that the most devastating looking move really felt like a superplex. You know, never mind all the whips with the belt that we got. It was the the superplex that, that, that felt significant, whereas the table didn't. And that's a shame because, you know, these wrestlers are really putting their bodies on the line when they do these kind of matches. And, you know, it's, it's just, it seems unnecessary, really. I don't really know what the gimmick... The D, no DQ thing added to this. I think, in fact, I think it significantly took away quite a lot. Um, they were so slow; it kind of reminded me of of the Shining horror film. And the reason why I've read that the Shining is so successful is because you never get that release; you get the tension, and it just completely lacked that tension. It just felt like we were setting up big spot to big spot to big spot. There was a pile driver through a table at one point, and I was just thinking, why? Why are you risking this? That's such a dangerous spot to do. The table was outside the ring. It just didn't feel like it was a sensible thing to do. At one point, Luke Jacobs found a bag um, that Spike Trevaya brought to the ring, and the commentary um, screamed, What's in the bag? Um, I think they were quoting from the film Seven. Uh, the quote is what's in the box not bag and they said it was thumbtacks well I don't often feel like this I often get annoyed in fact you know when people have those arguments in offices up and down the country where someone will say 
oh, I call it a bomb, and then someone in the office has to go, you call it a bomb, I call it a bath, and we have to have these arguments about what the fight name is. I don't really care about those sorts of things. Call things what you want. That bag in this match was not full of thumbtacks. They were drawing pins. We're not in the Royal Rumble 2000. You know, this isn't... They're, they're drawing pins. Let, let's behave ourselves. Um, the other thing that was in the bag was lemon juice. And at one point, Spike Trevay was forced to drink lemon juice. There was a bit where Luke Jacobs was dropped in the thumbtacks and then he threw lemon juice on him and Spike Trevay choked him out. And I, 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 I don't know. Lemon lemon juice. Lemon lemon juice. I re I recognise by the way that like, I, I understand that 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 lemon juice hurts cuts. If you you know if you've got a little cut and you get lemon juice in it, it really hurts. But I don't know. This is wrestling. Next up, we had uh, Chris Ridgeway against Jonathan Gresham for the ROH World Championship under pure rules, and this is the match that I wanted to see. This is the match that I was gutted I couldn't talk about on the last show. Um, Jonathan Gresham's been doing a little bit of tour a little bit of a tour of European promotions in the last few weeks. And, and he's wrestled Ridgeway before he wrestled Carnival in a match that I thought was really good. And, and I felt that this would be just as good. Um, I love shaved head Chris Ridgeway. I think he looks great. He looks terrifying. And it shows, doesn't it, that it's not size that makes someone intimidating. It's the way someone carries yourself. But then when Gresham came out on this show and you looked at him and you thought, yeah, that's the difference. Gresham is a wrestling star. And even as much as I like Ridgeway and I like Luke Jacobs and I like a lot of people on this card, and I, I've been raving about the Smoking Aces, Gresham just feels like he's on another level. He just looks like a he, yeah, he just looks like a star. The crowd was split. The chant between Ridgeway and Gresham was great. This felt like a match, a big match. They let it go on a little bit too long, I thought. I got the point <laughs> long before um, they stopped chanting, but it it felt like a significant match at the start. The problem was that it just was a little bit a little bit cooperative for me. Ridgeway's hammerlocks were good, but there wasn't much excitement. There wasn't much excitement there because it felt like Gresham was helping him out a little bit, was moving where he wanted him. Um, Gresham would do these flips into a bridge and dance his way around Ridgeway, but Ridgeway would keep the hammerlock, and that was really good. But it just felt like they were kind of helping each other out a little bit. It felt like they were doing the moves rather than trying to get the moves. Um, the first pin was flipped out of. Uh, Gresham flipped his way. He sort of had him in a sort of a scissors position, and he and he he swung um, Ridgeway off him, and it it felt like a planned spot. I didn't feel like anyone was desperately scratching for control at any point. Limbs at times were just handed to each other, and there was a lot of skill. You know, the moves weren't even with that caveat. The moves weren't easy to execute, but it missed that most important ingredient. It missed that competitive feel. Even a throw out of the ring felt a little bit cooperative. Later in the match, there was a drop kick and it picked up. It became much more violent. Um, the holds were mixed with strikes and it was much more exciting. 
Um, but even then, Gresham stumbled around and he made sure he was in the right position for kicks and you, you saw him moving and positioning himself slightly in a way that he wouldn't. Um, the best bit was was Ridgeway getting hammered fist to the back of the head. I thought that was really good. Um, Gresham won with a massive punch that wasn't that massive. It just felt like a match that, that didn't really land to me. I was really disappointed with this. It, it just didn't have the... The, the the brutality or the or the, the joie de vivre that I wanted from it really, but it was what it was. I, I still really like both these wrestlers, and I, it's not curbed my excitement of them. I, I just think this could have been better. Then we had Dean Ormark versus Karen Noir. I really like Dean Ormark. I really feel like he's he's overlooked. In a lot of ways, but then in a lot of ways, you think, well, what would you do with him? You know, would you? You're not going to sign Dean Ormark to WWE. He's not. He doesn't have that look. He doesn't have that feel. But he's a wrestler who has been on the scene forever, and he's this grizzled veteran, and he's entered kind of the late Johnny Cash stage. Um, he gets it. In a way, I wish he could have had this progress run when progress was hot, because I think he'd have been great. It's a shame that progress had to die and, and become what it is now for him to get this moment. You know, the way he came out, he's got this this glitchy metal theme tune and he, he really pushes his way into it. He came out pumped up, ready to fight and he clearly loves wrestling. He, he clearly knows how to how to act and operate in these in these big spots. Um they presented him with his stats. He's won every match he's had in progress apart from one, and that was against Cara Noir. And what a great statistic to start a match with. That's just a story in a nutshell. Um, in a lot of ways, I think Cara Noir sums up the gimmick shit that I was talking about earlier with Trevay. I don't believe it. In principle, it's fine, but in practice, it's just really dorky. During Cara Noir's entrance, Dean Ormark had his back to him, which I thought was excellent. The difference between the two was stark. Ormark was psyching himself up in the corner because he really wanted this moment and people were cheering for him and behind him because he's been on the grind for decades and he stared at Cara Noir with determination and, and Dino just seemed so much more over. You know, his gut might be a little bit big now and his fake tan might have made his skin a little bit leathered, but that added to it all. I was so behind him and I wanted him to win. And to be fair in this, Cara was no slouch. I might not like the gimmick, but he really wrestled well. Cara might not be very exciting, but he was competent. Um, they had a very traditional match in terms of pace. Um, a little bit flabby in the middle, but there were so many moments in this that, that, that Dean was just absolutely brilliant. His selling, again, it's been a bit of a theme on the show, but his selling was great. He was uh, he suffered a net breaker and kicks and he, he entered this stage where his eyes were glazed over and he was struggling to get to his feet and it entered that upset territory that he was going to have to really claw for this victory. And he did it with palm strikes and he, he really sold the fact that he was clinging on and... Um, I feel like Dean should have been built a little bit more enthusiastically because this was a match that would have been really well served by a better build. I think the build was good. I think the simplicity of it was great. And and I, I think this is a match you could have had as a bit of a marquee, really. it was The story was there. Dean or Mark would have been um, a little bit of a Tim Storm. 
but they, they chose not to do that, which is I think is a shame. Um, obviously, Karen Noir won and, and the NXT UK champion, your Dragunov, came out uh, and delivered a really corny promo. So we've got that to look forward to. And then the main event was the women's title match. It was Giselle Shaw versus Rio. Um, Shaw's gimmick is really good, isn't it? It's just, it's really interesting to have, she's the quintessential diva. Her gimmick is that she looks like a diva era wrestler, but she would absolutely batter you. She's actually a great wrestler. And I think that's a really great gimmick. I think it works better in Rev Pro. Because, as I say, Progress has this NXT 2.0 smell about it, really. And, you know, I, I think that gimmick will just work better in a more serious promotion. Um, Rio was great here when she came out. She was ready. She was confident. I like this little moment where she was discussing tactics with Ridgeway. That's something you don't really see very often. It felt like she was warming up. I really like Northwest Strong. They feel like a group of ass kickers. Um, I... I really like the way that they're going uh, Northwest Stronger. And Rio felt super over. It was a big spot and you know that she's ready. She came out fighting. Um, there was a bit of a back and forth and they did the Eddie Guerrero pose with the fist, which, okay, wasn't wasn't quite earned. thought Rio was a little bit slow to be effective, but Shaw sell really well. There's a really fine line between methodical and plodding. And I think I felt this plodded quite a bit at times. It entered a bit of a quagmire. Slaps didn't really feel as brutal as they should have been. But the crowd got into the brawl. You know, that they really did. The second half picked up and there were huge bombs. It was 20 minutes and I just felt like it should have been 10 and it should have gone harder and it should have gone stronger. Um, there was a lot of aggression, but it was hinted at rather than actually being shown. And I, I think that it needed a, a little bit more fight. So that was Progress Chapter 128. Not the most exciting show. But I think the Karen Dean Allmark match was really good. And I thought the tag team match, despite having Lycos Jim in it, was, was good too. Um, so a really solid show. And I, I do kind of wish I'd, I'd, I'd gone live now, really, in a, in a strange kind of way. It was interesting that the ROH match wasn't on the network. But they're advertising... Cara Noir versus Jonathan Gresham as title versus title. So we'll see what happens with the with the network there, but it's kind of a difficult thing to give a monkeys about at this stage, isn't it? So uh, let's go north. I put a call out on um, on Twitter for people to send me interesting matches from promotions that perhaps don't get talked about as much. And I want to first of all say thank you to everybody that sent me matches. I've got quite a few to get to. The Scandinavian Graps is, is quite high up on the on the, uh, on the the list to get to. But a promotion that comes up quite a bit and has built a bit of a cult following for itself is North. Um, North is based in Newcastle, up in the northeast of England, which is a, a lovely part of the world. I spent my, my summer up there in uh, in Northumberland. Uh, exploring castles and and going to the Angel of the North and and all these things and, and just a lovely lovely part of the world with lovely people. Uh, I stayed in Almwick for a while, which has got the world's biggest secondhand bookstore. Um, super nerdy, but just 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 a lovely place to be. Um, and I was sent a match, uh, Gabriel Kidd against Mark Haskins, and, and and it was it was recommended to me, and I watched it, but I actually went and subscribed to their Patreon. I ended up watching watching the whole show. 
Um, it's from uh, 5th of February. Uh, it's uh, North uh, 2.4, uh, Losing My Edge um, in a brewery. And they just had a lovely, lovely feel. Um, to the show, it was. It felt like a really friendly show to be at. They, they, are in a lot of ways, they're aping progress. Um, with the, the you know the, the titles and the, and the numbered shows, and they have banter at the start, and it, it, but it, it had like a really friendly feel to it. It felt, you know, I, I think I was slightly predisposed to it because the um <laughs> the the guy who did the the, the pre show banter ended up slagging off the Tories and, <laughs> and saying how they've forgotten the North, which is something that's that's quite close to my heart. Um, but it, it just had a lovely feel. And, and I think as a promotion, it feels like they're trying to do all the right things. They really want to tell stories that need a wrestling ring. Um, in a weird way, I was, I was reminded of the Watchmen film um, and thinking about all the difficulties they went through to get that comic book turned into a into a movie and one of the reasons that was always quoted was because this is a story that could only be told in a comic book um you know even terry gilliam didn't feel like he could make it into an effective film and i feel like sometimes in in, in mediums uh, the storytelling mediums that that are perhaps a little bit unusual the most captivating stories are those that are told that can only be told using that particular medium and it really feel like North Wrestling are, are leaning into that. They want to tell wrestling stories, stories that can only be told in the wrestling ring. So there was a fella called Shreddy at the start, who, by the way, some top swearing from Shreddy. There's something about that Geordie accent where someone could drop a C-bomb and it just sounds so much better than anybody else doing it. It doesn't sound aggressive. It almost sounds kind of... I don't know. It's just it's a, a wonderful way, a wonderful swearing. Um and, you know, he was annoyed that he was in the main event of the last show and now he's opening. And he was unhappy and he wanted to go out and, and batter people. Uh, there was a great story with Gia Adams where her mum has come to all the shows that she feels like she's really a part of this promotion and she wants to she wants to be become even closer to it and she loves it and it's, it's something that's dear to her heart. And then you've got Lizzie Evo who... He's just taking a booking. You know, she's she's a bit of a veteran, Lizzie. She's been around for, for quite a while now. And she's, you know, they, they played up this story of for Lizzie. It was just, she's just a belt collector. She's just here to, she's just here to, to, to take a booking and get a payday. Whereas to G, it really, really matters. There were definitely elements of overbooking at times on the show. I felt sometimes that the story would bleed into the match a little bit too much. Um... So you know there'd be arguments part way through a match, or they'd be they 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 really hammer home the story that they were telling that when it didn't really need it. Um, there were also moments like a G Money and Lycos thing, which just it, it, those who listened to episode one will know that was just never going to be my thing anyway. The crowd liked it to be fair, uh, but G Money was telling this story of how oh he really wants to be a baddie and you know how do I be a naughty boy and all this and it just it, it was fine and I'm not against comedy necessarily although i am a little bit grumpy for me it was more like they were wrestling man like Doris and leon slater and man like Doris is he's fantastic and leon slater was was brilliant he was a he's very young wrestler but he was he was so solid in his his high flying and i i really felt like i wanted to see more from that team i wanted to see them wrestle properly i didn't want to see them dragged down with the, with this silly story um but 
to be fair, um, this is part of a, of a tournament, so I am going to get to see that, I think. And I, I actually... I've got a little bit of trust with this promotion, I think, even after watching a, a short period of time that, okay, there was, there was things on this show that, that wasn't, it wasn't necessarily for me at times. It, it got, like I say, a little bit overbooked, but I felt like they understood what makes a wrestling story. And that, that's something that's going to uh, keep me around uh, to the point that I've, I've subscribed to the Patreon. You know, you can get all of their stuff. They, they put it on, uh, I'll get you the URL. It's patreon.com slash North wrestling NCL. Uh, and you can get everything on there. I think it's £5 a month I'm paying, uh, which there's a lot on there. There's 19 full shows to work my way through, and I'm, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, the standout match here, though, was Mark Haskins against Gabriel Kidd. And we talked earlier on about RevPro, about how you can put two people together, and a good booker will recognise two people who will just work on paper before you've even done anything. And I think Mark Haskins and Gabriel Kidd they epitomise that. It feels like a scalp for either man. You know, Gabe, Mark Haskins has um, a weight to him. He's uh, in that veteran position in, in European indie wrestling that we're missing a lot of now. And Haskins has got himself in incredible shape. He looks the best he's ever been. The blue gear looks great. Um, he really feels like he's out here ready to fight. Um, and obviously Gabe Kidd's Gabe Kidd. He came out and he, he scoped around this brewery, stared down Haskins and we had this story there immediately of a of a younger wrestler overtaking the veteran um, and the veteran not being happy about it. And that's a story that Haskins can really tell. I talked last week about how these New Japan LA Dojo people feel like world warriors and Haskins in a way feels like the world ward warrior. He feels like he's been around and he's seen it all and he's he's scraping to hold his place on the scene. And it's a, it's a story he's leading into and he's telling brilliantly, I think. And, and he definitely did that in this match. This match started out quite traditionally, and I I, I watched it, and I, there was grappling, and it was good, and I was I was kind of worried that I I wasn't going to see what everybody else was seeing in this match. I, I was I thought it was it was fine. I I didn't really get that excited about it. Um, but then something happened with with Gabriel Kidd. He he sort of epitomized in a lot of ways this this consistent character that's often missing from wrestling this idea that somebody has to be a heel or a face and that they have to act in a heelish or a face manner and they do things that would get cheers or boos and and that's good that is good wrestling i'm not criticizing that but there's this sort of other way that, that the really great wrestlers can take i'm thinking someone like a naito or an okada you know I'm, that's the level that i'm thinking about here who can just present a character that's consistent you know, like an Eddie Kingston or a John Moxley, people like that, that just feel real and feel who they are. And sometimes on some nights and against some opponents, that's going to come across in sort of a babyface way. And on some nights and against some opponents, it's going to come across in a in a heelish way. And Kid here, he didn't do what he normally does. He didn't put his hands behind his back and, and, and have this test to see who was the hardest man. Because he presented himself as someone who believed that he already was the hardest man. He didn't take Haskin seriously at the start of this match. And he was working him in a really traditional way. He was working his arm. And it had this this aroma of arrogance about it that that, that really worked with that kid character. He's somebody who is travelling to test himself and to fight and to scrap. And the fact that he didn't think Haskins was worthy of that really worked. 
And the crowd were fantastic during this match. They really picked up on that and they started to boo him. They started to turn on Kid. They started to think, no, we came here for a, for a contest, for a wrestling match, and you're giving us this arrogant, stuck-up routine. And I, it was at that moment when I realised that story, and that's, well, that's, I didn't realise it. They, they told it brilliantly. They made me realise it, uh, that I really got into that, and, and I really enjoyed Kid leading into the, the heel role. And then he grabbed hold of Haskins' hair and said to him, it's a good job you didn't bring your son Jack with you. To see you beaten like a bitch. And I can't deliver that line very well. <laughs> I mean, I, I try, believe it or not, that was me being as intimidating as I possibly can. Um, but obviously, Gabe Kid really, really could. And it was a it was a great line. He delivered it perfectly. And he just then descended into these boots from Haskins. And he, he you know, he really I think what it was is if I had just watched the undercard and I saw the way that North tells stories, it would have been the way I think I'd have, I'd have ended feeling what I said at the start, where they clearly get pro wrestling, they clearly want to tell these stories, but they sometimes overbook a little bit. This, to me, was was what North was great at. This telling this story in a really interesting way that could only be told in a pro wrestling ring. And it, it, Haskins and Kid were, were brilliant. Um Haskins was on fire and then uh, Kid did the Shibata pose, which is quickly becoming some of those cliches that we talked, uh, one of those cliches we talked about earlier. But it really worked here because he sort of closed his eyes and it, there was a moment from Kid where he realised that he'd underestimated Haskins. He thought that he could just take the mick out of him. He maybe thought he was somebody that, that he'd left in the rearview mirror when he got signed to New Japan. But Haskins didn't let him... That wasn't true. Haskins wouldn't allow him to think that. And um, the crowd kind of got back on Kid's side and it became a split crowd. And, you know, the crowd were great here and the the, the presentation was was really, really really good. Um, And I didn't know who I was cheering for. I I didn't know. I, I, I felt that Haskins was right to start beating up Kid when he said that about his child. And Actually, by the end, I felt sorry for Kid, and he got that underdog thing, and he was just—he was—he was a really, really good match, and definitely one that I recommend checking out. And I really hope, and I think more promotion should do this. I really think North should put this up somewhere for free. I think they should—it it worked with me. I, I got—I saw this match, and I went and subscribed to the Patreon, and I think—I think other people would do as well. And it's now a promotion that I really want to dive into, so I'll—I'll I'll keep an eye on them, and if anything else happens, I'll—I'll I'll point you in the right direction. Um, Kid won, obviously, um, but it, it was a, it was a fantastic match, and and um, I'm really glad I saw it. So keep sending me these these recommendations. Keep sending me these matches. Uh, they, like I said, there's lots of Scandinavian graps that I'm going to be diving my way into over the next fortnight. Um, but really, if you see anything from a smaller promotion that you think um, we should all be watching, please please let us know. So that's it for Eurograps Express episode two. 
Um, I was, <laughs> I've just realised I, I was tempted to try and come up with a progress-esque title for each show, but I'm not going to do that. So this is just, I'm going to stop calling it number two from now on and we're just going to say Eurograps Express. But thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, uh, follow me on uh, Eurograps EXP on Twitter. Um, please keep sending me in those match, uh, match recommendations. I am very, very conscious that in the two episodes I've only talked about English wrestling and we're called Eurograps Express. I feel like a wrestling company that's calling their title a world title and only defending it in one country. So next uh, episode, we're going to be talking about WXW, the fantastic uh, carrot weekend that I'm seeing lots of buzz about on Twitter uh, that's happening as, I, as I'm recording this. Uh, as I say, I'm going to dive into Scandinavian graps and um, hopefully some more exciting matches that you send me. Um, have a lovely fortnight and I will see you next time.